Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to thank and pay our respects to the elders, past, present, and emerging. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Doing Well, the Wellbeing Science Insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week, we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I'm your host, Blue Ngo, coming to your ears from NARM, Melbourne, Australia. Let's learn together. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Doing Well. And we're here today with you again this week to talk about science behind well-being. Today, we have in our virtual studio a very wonderful guest. We've actually, I think, rescheduled this because of um, issues. And, you know, I was kind of really excited because it's finally happening. I was going through our comms and I was like, oh, it's finally happening after months. Um, So when I saw the topic the first time, I was kind of like, wow. It's going to be a big topic because everyone knows about it, but not really talking about it. Today, we're going to talk about digital media literacy and how digital well-being fits into that. Um, I think we all have some sort of understanding about it, but we don't really think about it in depth. Um, so Julia is here to talk to us today about the topic, and um, I'm going to get her to introduce herself in a little bit. Uh, but by way of introduction, we have in our virtual studio today, Julia Farrar. She's a librarian and the head of digital literacy initiatives at Virginia Tech. And it was hilarious when I was asking Julia how, how I could pronounce her name. And she was like, it's like Ferrari, just without the, the last syllable. And I was like, yes, that's like perfect. I can remember that, especially I told her, I was like, I'm a Ferrari fan in F1. So this is easy for me. Uh, but yeah, that was that was a really good one. Um, so I don't think we've had anyone who who teaches me to pronounce their name in such a funny way. So I really love that. Um, thank you so much for being here, Julia. I know it's super late where you are. So I really appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It is evening where I am. So hopefully my, my brain will work with us. And uh, thank you for for rescheduling with me and making it work. It's a uh, speaking of well-being. I have uh, a young son who's in daycare. And so just the illness all the time is just a lot. Yeah, I could imagine. I have a friend whose son is also kind of sick all the time and then that affects her own well-being, you know, on top of everything else. Um, so I could understand how much it, it must be for you, which is why we really appreciate your time because, you know, taking even just an hour of your schedule to do this, um, let alone, you know, more than an hour um, as a parent is really admirable. So we appreciate your time and I'm sure we're going to have a really good conversation. But before we go into the conversation and get to know you a bit better, um, could you please share a bit about your professional journey with us? Because I think this topic is definitely something that more and more people are talking about. Um, but, f- you know, for you as a librarian and to, to do like the digital literacy initiatives, it's like a very interesting combination. And I'm you know, keen to hear more about how you got there and why you're so passionate about this topic. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Uh, so as a librarian, one of the things I love the most is getting to connect people with resources 
in order to learn whatever they're passionate about. And so I get to help people achieve their goals, to explore new things. I get to help them as they're just discovering something for the first time. And that really brought me into libraries and it really keeps me going in a lot of ways. And with digital media literacy, a lot of that is giving people the skills to do many of those things on their own, to find the resources that they need, to explore things, to make new things, to connect with other people. So that's been a really exciting thread across my career. Uh, Being head of digital literacy now, um, and that's a role I've been in for maybe coming up on five years, that's been really fast. Uh, I get to work with a lot of undergraduate and graduate students at Virginia Tech. I get to work with faculty and I get to supervise a team of librarians. And we're all thinking together about how do we help people face all of these challenges that we're all facing online? What, What can we offer people? How can we help them explore all of those things? And I, I think back often to when I was in college and what that experience was like, and it was kind of scary to try to talk to librarians. It felt like, oh, I don't want to bother you. I don't, I don't want to kind of impede on your schedule. But really what I always tell people is that librarians are here to help. That's what we love to do. That's what we want to spend time doing. And so whoever's listening, wherever you are, that might be a local public librarian, that might be a university nearby, but just one message from me today is just that librarians get sometimes too excited about helping you. And we really want to do that. Ah, I love that. You know, I, I didn't grow up going to the library very often, but whenever I do, it's like, the best experience Mm -hmm. um and you know when you say that librarians just love to help you I'm like oh that's so sweet I I don't think I've done a lot of like interactions with librarians but now that you say it I might because I really love going to the library um it's just that you know sometimes when you don't know like you're not used to it it's just kind of like oh I'm just gonna like walk in and slowly back out you're not really interacting with anyone I just love looking at books so <laughs> that's, why, that's why I go um, but yeah like you know the world's changing so fast now and a lot of things are digital and I know we're going to talk about this more very soon because I think from my perspective especially for our team and you know for a lot of our people in our audience we are probably spending the majority of our days with screens whether it be laptop screens, phone screen, TV screens, just, you know, everything, everything digital. So it's going to be, I think, a really good way to kind of reintroduce that concept into our lives if we look at it differently, especially when we talk about well-being. Um, and yeah, I have some stories to tell about all the screens Ooh. as well. Before Ooh. we do that, let's talk about you. Let's get to know you a bit better. We have this section uh, at the beginning of the show. I love this one, where we get to know the guests better through their recommendations and we call it, have you met Julia? So are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, let's do it. What is a book you would recommend? Ooh, okay. So you see a lot of books behind me. So this is a tough question, but What I read most recently and enjoyed uh, was a novel called Remarkably Bright Creatures, and it switches between a few different narrators, but one of the narrators is an octopus who lives in an aquarium, and another narrator is is a woman who comes and cleans there, 
and she befriends the octopus. Um, so it's, it's a sweet story. Uh, tugs at your heartstrings for sure, but uh, has some surprises along the way. So that was really fun. Ah, that's, that's interesting. I, I don't think I've come across any book that's kind of like that because, well, if I could hear from the narrative of an octopus, that's like a very interesting concept to me. Yeah. But thank you for that recommendation. Like, that sounds fun. <laughs> sounds like a fun read. Yeah, it's unique for sure. Yeah, definitely. How about a movie you would recommend? So similarly, the last thing that I actually finished and watched all the way through, uh, Wakanda Forever. And so part two of um, Black Panther. Tougher emotionally than I was prepared for, but really great also. And I was pretty late to the Marvel Cinematic Universe as a whole. My yeah. husband and I watched through a bunch of it during the lockdown period of COVID. So that's yeah. kind of my, my background with the MCU <laughs> is that like watching a lot together, close together. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, could, I hear you. A lot of people just binged through these movies uh, during the lockdowns. I've always been a Marvel fan. So yeah, I just, I love it. I love Wakanda Forever. It's, it was definitely tough, especially because, you know, it's kind of like, it felt too real, um, given what happened, yeah. you know, in the real world and what happened to Chadwick. So I was kind of like, I was emotional, but I got to see it with my best friend, who's also a huge Marvel fan. Um, so that was really nice. That's awesome. Yeah. You are the guest of our podcast now. But I wonder which podcast would you recommend to your audience? So a podcast that has supported my own well-being, I would say, is Brene Brown's Unlocking Us. And sadly, it did just end. She has finished the podcast she currently had, at least for now. Um, but she has a lot of really interesting guests on that podcast talking about a lot of different pieces of just like what it means to be human, I think, in lots of different ways. And I've enjoyed being exposed to lots of different voices. And I, I really enjoy her interview style as well and how much of her whole self she brings to those conversations and getting to hear her perspectives, too. Yeah, yeah, really sad that the, the podcast sort of just came to an end because I'm a huge fan of Brene Brown. I talk about oh, yeah. her so much. I talk about her all the time on this show. You know, like I just, yeah, I love Brene. She's like kind of like my spirit animal in a way. Like I just love her, the way that she carries herself, the way she talks to her guest um, and, you know, the way that she lives through life and being so vulnerable, especially, you know, on, on a podcast, uh, talking about, you know, not just um, bringing out the insights from other people, but talking about her own experience. And it's kind of like, you know, it's it's such a, an important thing to our well-being, you know, being honest, um, especially honest with ourselves. And I think that's something I love from Brene. So same as you, I'm a little sad that Unlocking Us came to an end and not sure when we'll have more of that um, or more of Brene's podcast, hopefully soon. Um, I'm not sure if you're going to, you're going to say Brene in the next, uh, question, but who would be your famous role model? <laughs> I was trying to think of someone else. That was my first <laughs> thought, but okay. I also have been thinking a lot about Hank Green. So he is 
a science educator, YouTuber, creator, writer, uh, brother to John Green, one half of the Vlog Brothers. Uh, he was just diagnosed actually with Hodgkin's lymphoma and has been talking about that on Twitter and made a YouTube video about uh, his experience with that and sort of thinking about well-being in our conversation today. I was thinking about him and how he's approaching connecting with his fans on that and kind of setting boundaries on what kinds of support he's looking for and what kinds of support he's not looking for. And I think that's really cool. And I think that so many things that he and his brother John create are just so amazing and so cool. And so he's been kind of top of mind for me recently. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I know about John Green. I love his books, but I actually didn't know about his brother. So this is new information for me. I'll do some more research after this conversation. Yeah. yeah. Final question in this part. What is a course you've completed that's just left a really big impact on you? Mm-hmm. So in winter of 2020, as COVID was hitting, I was actually just starting a graduate certificate program in digital literacy from the University of Rhode Island. And it's a four class sequence. And I was in the in one of the classes, my first class that I was taking um, from Renee Hobbs, a professor there. And the course is digital authorship. So all about how to create in lots of ways online, we got to play with lots of different tools and practice making things. And it was really fun. And it really focused me in that especially turbulent time, and gave me people to connect with who were interested in learning similar things. So it, it ended up being really helpful timing for me personally to have that creative out put and someone who was asking me for it. Uh, I'm someone who really <laughs> still kind of thrives, uh, still thrives from having someone give me homework and telling me, okay, go do this, go practice this thing. And that, that experience of being a learner again, I hadn't been in a formal class for a long time was really exciting and fun. Yeah, I love that. I think I'm a little bit like you in that sense, because, you know, like when I get to learn things and like get given homework and like, do this, do this today or like, you know, do this every day. I'll be like, okay, now I have to be really accountable. And like, I like, I like that. I was, I, I think I was probably like a, I don't know, like what's the word? Just, just like a really diligent student, a little bit of a teacher's pet <laughs> back in the day. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, like when I heard you say that, I was like, yeah, I can relate to that so much. Uh, but I, I love the, the fact that you enjoyed the class because I think as adults, on this show, especially, I talk about it a lot. Like as adults, it's really rare to find conversations about, oh, like I'm learning this, I'm learning that. So, you know, hopefully we can bring more of that into our lives. And especially in the context of today, we're talking about digital literacy, right? We learn so many things on the internet. I just mm -hmm. love the fact that we can do that in the comfort of our own home, at a coffee shop, as long as we have internet connection and a device that can, you know, facilitate learning. Um, and we can actually learn every day. But the thing is, you know, we have all these digital devices and not all the time we're using them for learning. We're using them for so many different purposes, which is why it's kind of hard to balance the, the screen time with our well-being. And we'll talk about that very soon. 
first thing first, I would love to ask you, how would you personally define well-being? So for me, I think it's generally about a holistic sense of thriving. And there can be ups and downs within that, but just kind of that general, like, I'm okay, or I'm going to be okay, or I can be okay. And I think that involves a lot of hope for the future, and as well as reflection on where you've been. And I think too about different levels to my well-being that there's like the physical, there's the emotional, there's also like how I am as part of a society and how how that all fits together. So very multifaceted too. Yeah, definitely. Um, a lot of our guests on this show have, have talked about something similar as in like, you know, the holistic approach. But I like that you threw in the word thriving in there, you know, like not just surviving, not just existing, actually thriving. I really love that. Uh, it's hard to, to do that because some days for our well-being, we just feel like, yeah, I'm just getting by. On other days, you might say, I'm feeling great today and I'm thriving, right? So I think it's a it's a lifelong journey there. It's mm-hmm. going to change. It's going to fluctuate. Um, but I think working towards it and keeping all these things in mind is so important, which is why we, ha- we have this show and addressing different facets of it. Um, digital literacy is one of them. And there, there are so many things that we probably don't think about when it comes to well-being. And the holistic part that you mentioned includes all of that. Things that you probably just kind of like don't even notice on a day-to-day basis. Um, so right. today we're going we're gonna to draw a lot of uh, insights into digital media literacy. But I also always ask my guest about some misconceptions when it comes to well-being, because you have mm-hmm. your personal definition. I'm sure you notice in yourself when your well-being is you know, at its peak, when it's at its lowest. And you also notice from other people what they do for their well-being or how they view their well-being. So to you, Julia, what are some of the biggest misconceptions that people have when it comes to well-being? I think something I've been seeing and working on in myself is a misconception that well-being is all on me as an individual, that it's something I have complete control over, or it's it's not my fault if I'm not feeling in a, in a state of well-being at a, at a certain time, that there are other bigger things going on often uh, in our society. Uh, racism, misogyny, access to healthcare, these bigger structures that are part of the puzzle too. And I say that coming from a lot of privilege myself, and that's I think all the more reason to say it and to recognize it too, that it's, it's not all on me. And it's also not all because of me when I'm doing well, if that makes sense. Yeah. And it's tough to keep, to keep coming back to that, but I think it's important. Yeah. That you touch on something that I don't think anyone's has mentioned on this show because it's, 
you know, it's uh, most of the time it's like, you know, misconceptions about um, the fact that, you know, you need to be well all the time or, you know, like when it comes to finance, mm -hmm. the more money you have, the, the better you feel. Um, or, you know, like it's a, like it's a state of mind that's always going to be there, but it's not, this is the first time someone has said it's not all on themselves. You know, like I find it to be extra interesting. So I'm, now I'm curious, how did you come to that? What got, what got you to think about it in the first place? Uh, therapy, <laughs> for one. <laughs> uh, uh, I think I am someone who takes on a lot of responsibility for myself. So that's, that's work I've done with professional counselors is just to identify like, where am I taking on too much responsibility and kind of taking on the weight of the world and recognizing that there are other things um, beyond me. But I think even more than that, it's also a lot of learning that I've been doing around things like institutional racism and how those structures come into play um, that can really be harmful for individuals, but also for society as a whole and how we function together. And some conversations that I saw a lot during the pandemic were frustrations. Uh, I was hearing from colleagues, from other people whose work I really admire um, when the conversation was more about like, what can you do as an individual to to be okay during COVID and like, how are you making sure that you're taking care of yourself, which is super important to, to do, but in the, in the landscape of a pandemic, we need those systemic responses too, beyond what individuals can do. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think it's such a, an interesting point and it's much bigger than what we are and what we can do uh, because if, if these are systemic issues and you know the, we got to start talking about them more um, because and, and also I think it's it's kind of hard in the context of today's society like it's today's world because it's just you're responsible for yourself and you got to mm -hmm. do all these things and you got to you know educate yourself and and do better when you know when you know better you do better I agree with all of that and I also agree with you. There's so much outside of our control. For example, like, you know, when it comes to well-being, I think one of the most important things about mental health is the kind of information that we take in all the time, right? And that is also a systemic issue because the information that we absorb comes from somewhere, especially Absolutely. when it comes to like, you know, um, regulations from the government, um, you know, things that happen that are outside of our control about rules and regulations. I just feel like there's not much talk about it because uh, there's a sense of defeat sometimes. And maybe perhaps that's that's how you feel about the situation, which is why you got to think about it. Because, yeah, a lot of things are not within our control. We can only control how we face it. Um, so it's, a, it's an interesting notion that it's not entirely up to us um, because our, our well-being is so interconnected with um, our society's well-being as a whole. Yeah, I think I think you're spot on in thinking about how information comes at us. And this is a tension that I, I think about in digital literacy as well. Because I, I want people to have control. I want to give people skills so that they can pursue the things they want to pursue. 
but I also still want to recognize and point out those bigger structures and the places that we don't have control ultimately so that we can advocate for improvements. But it's, it's so hard to hold both of those things in a hopeful and productive way. Yeah, definitely. So now that you've touched on digital literacy, how do you define it? So like well-being, this is definitely an area where people have different definitions and different ways that they come at it. But I define digital literacy or digital media literacy as a set of knowledge and skills and attitudes that people use to navigate their digital lives or to engage with their digital lives. And as we've been talking about, that navigation sometimes involves making individual choices and sometimes it involves recognizing where there are structural things beyond our control. And I think about kind of some groups of skills around that are things like how do you explore and evaluate the information you come across? How do you create new media? How do you share things and connect with other people? And again, how do you ultimately hopefully take some action uh, as a digital citizen? I think that's often the bigger goal that I'm thinking about in digital literacy education is that that informed citizen aspect. Yeah, that is fascinating because you just mentioned a terminology that I have not thought about or have not heard before, a digital citizen. That is new to me, but oh, okay. I, I got that straight away. Yeah, I, I understand what you're talking about straight away. It is true. We're all digital citizens. We're all participating in it in one shape, you know, in a shape or form. And I think it's like the biggest thing I noticed in the past uh, few years is how quickly things get to people without any filter. Mm-hmm. Oh, I saw this. This must be true. Mm-hmm. But it's not. You know, if you just take like, I don't know, a minute to think about it before actually reacting, you might notice weird things about the information you're getting. It might actually be completely fake or fudge or false. And sometimes it's really easy to spot. Um, and sometimes information gets to us and we get affected, especially when it comes to our mental health. So it's also a matter of like taking some distance from it um, and, you know, being really careful about, we, about what we share with others as well, because it might trigger people. I, I like that, you know, a lot of people are kind of like when they share information, they, they give trigger warning in mm-hmm. advance. Some mm-hmm. people just don't. And it's kind of like, oh, wow. Or like spoilers. This is like really silly of me to say, but I hate spoilers. And, you know, like when, when I go onto the Internet and then some people just randomly share things that I have not got the chance to kind of see, especially when it comes to movies, TV series. I know it sounds really silly, but it's like, it's annoying. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that is silly. I think that's a great example of like, what are the community expectations we have for how we interact with each other in a certain space? And the bigger that space is, the harder it can be to have those set expectations if it's yeah. just a few of us in a small group, we can say no spoilers and hopefully people will 
will follow that. But yeah. when we're in these huge open platforms that people approach in different ways, that's really tough. Yeah, definitely. So we've talked a little bit about how you define digital media literacy. You know, we've touched on a few things that might happen um, to you as a digital citizen when you kind of like navigate this space. But in general, how would do you say to be the relationship between digital media literacy and our well-being? Mm-hmm. So I think we've we've definitely started to touch on some of the ways. Oops. <laughs> Try that again. So I think we've already been touching on some of the ways that being a person in our very digitally mediated world can be hard from all the information coming at us really quickly, dealing with misinformation, fake news, uh, dealing with digital clutter and tons of emails and files and managing all of those things. And I think that well-being comes in because a lot of the skills and knowledge that you develop as you develop your digital literacy can be in direct service of addressing some of those challenges and trying to reach more of a state of well-being generally. And so I think well-being we can take kind of as a lens to really any digital literacy issue and really emphasize like we're people trying to do these things. We're people connecting with each other online. That can be hard to remember sometimes when we we don't see each other clearly through a screen, depending on how we're, we're connecting. And then there's also really specifically a subset of digital literacy that I would call digital well-being. And that's a more focused group of skills that's really all about how can we be healthy and happy online and Again, I, th- I think that can be related to things like evaluating our information, how we get our information. Screen time is something that comes up a lot when people talk about digital well-being. I think that's often an easy example to think of. That's a place of a lot of stress for a lot of people is just how much time we're spending on our screens how that's affecting things like sleep or social relationships. Uh, But I I don't think that's the whole thing. I think that that's just a piece of it. And there are all these other places where we can think about that well-being connection. Um, Also because for some people, community and connection is what they really find online. And that's, maybe something that they're not able to find in person as easily. And so I don't want to discount those experiences of well-being that are really from an online experience. Um, so it's not, it's not about having less screen time, and that's the answer, if that makes sense. I think it, it can be different for different people, just like other aspects of well-being can be different for different people too. Yeah, definitely. I think it's a matter of self-education, but also a matter of um, how we interact with others, you know, because what you just said is like, you know, we 
get exposed to all these things. And it's not just about screen time, but how we use the screen time in the first place. And a lot of the times we just kind of absorb information. And I know this is not a new saying. People know about this. You know, if you're, if it's not paid, then you're the product. Yep. If it's free, you're the product basically. And right. I think that's, that is probably one of the things that you probably pick up from digital media literacy if you go through the process of learning about it. Um, but it it's such a big issue to me personally, because I feel like recently when, when it comes to social media, I'm just like, why am I here? <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. I get updates. I get updates about my friend's life on these platforms, but not having conversations with them about mm -hmm. what you know, they're enjoying, for example, like to mm -hmm. me, that's a really big issue when it comes to well-being, because some other people might go to social media to get information and they might get information overload. To me, it's not right. an issue about about that. It's just more like I've realized how disconnected we all are. So to me, like that's like one of the main things that that I personally str struggle with and notice because um, I have a lot of friends who are super active on social media and a few friends that just don't use social media at all. And then I start to notice, you know, like how we interact with one another. And I realized that, you know, like the, the information you get from social media is kind of like bits and pieces and you mm -hmm. just don't really get the full picture. And then you just kind of like, oh yeah, like I kind of know what's going on in their life, but not really. On the other hand, I have friends that just, you know, do not use social media they probably go on social media like once a month and I have the best conversations with them mm. because I get to know them. I get to know about what's actually happening. And yeah, like occasionally, like I'll get like a, an update on, you know, like the fun things they've been up to, but I enjoy the part where I don't get to know them through social media. Like I actually get to know people through talking to them like the old days. I know it sounds like, you know, like, nostalgic and everything, but I, I actually think it helps with our well-being because I've been reading a lot of books on, you know, like a disconnection from um, the world, from other people, um, how that is kind of also affecting our productivity and focus. And I think that is so true. When you have a good conversation, you're actually not, you know, using the screen or maybe you have a phone call, uh, but you're if you're fully there, you're present. Uh, it improves your well-being and you know if you're not using or over abusing social media it actually improves relationships so i don't know if anyone is kind of or other people are starting to do this but i, I truly think that if we just use it a, a bit differently it will change so much mm -hmm. oh there's so much about what you just said that we could go in so many different directions i think I think you made a lot of really good and important points. First, I just wanted to call back to you mentioned like privacy and I think privacy and security of personal data is a huge part of mm. well-being and digital literacy. It's something that I think people are becoming more aware of that that idea that these companies that aren't charging us for use are are getting paid for uh, in our time and attention and our clicks and our our information that they're gathering huge amounts of and 
understanding that as the structure of a lot of the tools that we use, I think is really important in terms of understanding like why it pulls us in so much that it, it is structured to keep us there, to, to draw us in with those, those likes and shares and viral content. So I think that's a really important piece to the puzzle. Yeah. And then I'm curious, as you were talking about the friendships that you're able to cultivate outside of social media and friends that you don't connect with in social media, are those people that you talk to in person? Are those like phone calls? How are you managing those relationships otherwise? Uh, I would say most of them are friends that I would talk to in person. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I, being able to to actually talk to them. Um, I have a lot of friends back home in Vietnam that I just don't get to talk to very often. And, you know, because we've you know, sort of like slowly drifting apart because of how different our lives are. We don't talk as mm-hmm. much. So I'm mainly kind of focusing on people that I can talk to in person because that's where it gets really interesting. You know, the friends that are really far away, we probably would call um, each other. And even if, you know, like they're really active on social media, um, that's a different story in itself because distance, it kind of makes things harder. Uh, but I truly, like, I find it so interesting when it comes to like people who are in the same city you know, like we're in the same city and we we thought that we would call each other friends, but we uh-huh. barely talk, right? So then that's why I kind of like, when I disconnected from social media, I was kind of like, now I know who my friends are. Mm-hmm. People mm-hmm. that I actually text, call, have coffee chats with, go out with, and actually give me updates and I give them updates and, and have a proper conversation about what's going on. And... I realize that it's a really good way to also scan and screen through your relationships because I have a lot of, uh, now I know a lot of acquaintances on social media. We probably know about like what we're doing, like what the other person's doing in life. And I sometimes would get messages like, oh my gosh, Lou, let's hang out. And then it never happens. Yeah. 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 That's really interesting. I definitely see some similar dynamics for me. There are a lot of people who I have just like a baseline understanding of what's going on in their life, at least in terms of what they share. I know where they are in the world and that feels like connection that feels useful. Um, But if, if I saw them, what would we have to talk about is definitely a question. Exactly. But kind of on the flip side, an experience I've had as a new parent is connecting more with other parents who other of friends or acquaintances who are also parents who maybe I wouldn't have felt as connected to before. But as I've shared pictures or questions on social media, they'll respond in ways that kind of surprise me. And that's been fun. Like I, And when I was first going back to work after my son was born, I was having a really hard time making time for like eating a full meal in the morning and breakfast as I was getting out the door. So I I asked on Instagram, like, what's what are your favorite really easy foods? Like so easy, pour some water, put it in the microwave for a minute, like that level easy. And I got some really good responses. And that felt like a nice 
connection yeah. moment, even if it wasn't really like what's going on in your life, but it was like, uh, okay, you also have had this experience of needing something really fast for whatever yeah. reason in your life. And here's something that's useful to me that I can use. And that, that felt like something that I wouldn't have gotten without social mm. media. So maybe there's something there about connecting around interests or needs that people have that's like a different thing. I don't know what category of thing that is, but that that felt useful to me. Yeah. Oh, definitely, definitely. I think it's it's really good when the the good messages are getting out there. Like I remember uh, I'm not using social media right now, but I remember when I was using it, um, there was a period that I was really struggling with my mental health. And I realized that no, not a lot of people talk about that on social media, even though I know that mm -hmm. a lot of my friends were. Um, so I just decided to do something nice, you know, and I was, you know, creating a short video, like you was talking about video editing earlier, that, that it's kind of like what I did. I was just making a short reel on, on Instagram and I was, you know, talking about life um, with captions. And I was just sharing about like how, how a simple life looks like on the outside versus how it actually felt in those moments. Because, you know, I know, I know that it, it looks so cool when you go to gigs, when you go to restaurants, when you go out with friends and when you post those stories, um, or those posts, it can make the impression that everything is great, but actually no, you know, like for me, it's so important to spread this message about well-being because at, at that time, in those moments, I was actually at my lowest. I was struggling with anxiety. I was kind of like, not really, you know, not really sure about how to move forward with a lot of things. And I was kind of like paralyzed by anxiety even. So I got a lot of, uh, the reason why I did that is because I got a lot of um, comments and, and you know, like just comments in passing or, you know, in conversations with people that I don't talk to very often. They just say, oh my God, Lou, your stories look so cool. Mm. And, and I did not realize how toxic that could be. Because mm. of course, we only post the highlights. Mm -hmm. Why would I post about myself crying or struggle, struggling with anxiety? I wouldn't, mm -hmm. right? So I realized at that moment that it, it needs to change. And I was being really vulnerable and I was talking about it, that it doesn't matter what you see. It matters how, what actually happens. So, you know, like take everything with a grain of salt. And if someone is really struggling right now and, and you see this, this is a message to you, you know, take care of yourself, something along that line. I don't remember what exactly I wrote anymore. Um, but I got a lot of messages from, from people saying, thank you for sharing that. And, you know, there's just, there's just people that I know, you know, maybe I don't talk to them very often. Um, I have colleagues that, you know, we follow each other on Instagram and they, they saw that and they're kind of like, thank you for sharing that as well. Uh, thank you for talking about it because we're so big on well-being here at LMSL. So I think it's, it's a really nice chance to reevaluate the kind of contents that I was going to put out there. And, mm -hmm. you know, like right now as well, like I'm just taking a break from it all because, you know, I, I realized how much it was eating up my time and it's kind of like, you know, sort of like it's not helping with actually nurturing relationships with friends because, you know, like I would see things and I'll be like, oh, okay, this is what it's what happening with them. And then when I talk to them, when they talk about it, I'll be like, oh, yeah, I saw your stories. That's just, you know, I just don't want to have that kind of conversation. I would rather like hear the story from start to finish um, and yeah, instead of sharing my life in in snaps like that, I would very much like to tell them the story of what actually happened, for example. 
So I'm finding my balance. Um, the, the moral of the story is I'm finding my balance. I'm no expert mm-hmm. here, but I mm-hmm. think by sharing that little bit of ex- experience and information, I can kind of sh- explain my perspective as someone who struggled a lot, you know, um, and trying to find my way to, to improve my well-being or digital well-being, you, you might say. And in fact, I feel great. You know, right now I don't use social media. I feel great. I don't feel like anything's missing from my life. I don't feel the need to share anything on social media. And I'm actually just enjoying the moments. I still take photos and videos, but for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's great. I think what a beautiful example of finding that balance and of it looking different for different people. Like, that's what works for you. And that's amazing. And that's amazing that you found that and that it's working for you right now. And it also, maybe something else will work for you in a few years or at a different time in your life. I think being open to these different definitions or examples of what what digital well-being can look like at different times I think is powerful because we, I, I don't want to get to a point where there's just one way that people think this has to look. And if that doesn't work for me, then like I can't be digitally well. Uh, that would be, I think, the worst message for people to take. Yeah, um, definitely. But, but how, how can I find that balance and try some different things out and see what yeah. does it feel like to go off of social media for a week or two? What does yeah. it feel like when you come back? Maybe you, maybe you get right back off there and that, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'm, as I said, like I'm just finding the balance and I'm enjoying it so far. You know, I, I do think about like, okay, do I need to come back? Maybe just to stay in touch with friends. But if I do, like, what what do I want to do with it? And as I said, I told you the story because I felt like the impact of such a small message, or you know, a short video, could you know could have on people, and it, it's a positive mm-hmm. impact. Um, so maybe I'll come back and make more contents like that instead of just sharing random snaps. Mm-hmm. You know, like I I like that that aspect about the digital world, you can actually make a lot of differences in people's lives, right? And we were talking about, you know, uh, the the well-being aspect earlier when you were mentioned, it's not entirely up to you. So we can all contribute, I believe. Of course, we cannot change systemic issues ourselves. Uh, as a community, we can somehow shift the attitude, the way that we use it. But of course, um, there are, there are going to be some challenges, right? Um, and we, we kind of touched on some of the well-being issues earlier. Um, so as I mentioned to you, and you kind of like talked about it as well, it's kind of like navigating not just screen time, but how you're going to use it, um, how you're affected by it. To me, like a, a big factor of it is like productivity. When I deal with anxiety, when I was doom scrolling, that was the worst thing ever. Mm-hmm. Did not help. So that was like one of the issues related to well-being, which is why being off social media really helped me because, you know, it, it helps me to manage my anxiety better. Like when I don't see any influence uh, from others or from things that are happening in the world that might cause even more anxiety, I just focus on the present moment. So to me, like I understand some of the issues that I personally face, but since you work in this space, what are some of uh, the potential issues, especially well-being issues that might be caused by the use of digital technologies? Yes. So 
Yes. Things that you've mentioned for sure. Um, things that we haven't really talked about yet, I think that are related. Um, just like the volume of information that comes at us, whether that's social media uh, news is a big stressor for me. And that's been something that I've been working on some different strategies around. We talked a little bit about privacy and personal data, mm. social media in general. I'm trying to think of other things that we haven't touched on yet. Scam, I think, is a big thing nowadays as well, you know, on the digital space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, just the ability of what people might do with your personal data if they have them. I, I tend to think more about the larger scale, like what what companies are collecting your data, who are they selling that to. Mm. Uh, but That's such a big thing, yeah. Identity theft would be something that, that we worry about too if, if passwords aren't secure or we haven't set things up in a way to protect our data as well. Yeah, definitely. I think a little bit about file management clutter, and that's something that stresses me about, uh, stresses me out about my email. Sometimes it's just the, uh, the volume of things there, how I organize that. Uh, but also if you've ever had the experience of one of your apps or your phone popping up and saying, oh, you're about to run out of storage. And <laughs> so that, what are you going to do about that? And that yeah. keeping keeping things structured and in a manageable form, uh, mm-hmm. backed up also, uh, having things in multiple places that you can access so that if something happens to your phone or your laptop, uh, horror stories about people losing final papers at the end of a semester or things like that. So making sure that you have that backed up. Uh, yeah. I th- that's, that's a real stressor too. Yeah. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. I, I think um, I've heard so many horror stories. Like I have a friend who told me uh, the other day about working on a file and um, I think it took him eight hours of work to work on that file. And then he just lost it. Everything. <sighs> So this is where digital literacy is really important. Um, And so since we've mentioned a lot of issues, uh, it might be stressing our audience out a little bit. Um, (laughs) Now let's talk about, let's talk about how it can help, you know, how it can actually help. Because I think, uh, as you said before, we are all digital citizens, really nice concept, very interesting thing to think about, but I don't think we are as educated as we should be because all of these things came into our lives and we're just kind of like, oh, a phone, a laptop, cool, let's use it. Oh, storage, drive, let's use it. Email, okay, let's use it. Mm. There's really no guideline. There's really no like, you know, um, best practices that that people would talk about, uh, you know, very often. Um, I know that a lot of people care about digital media literacy and they talk about it with their colleagues, with their friends. But I think, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but the general public, they wouldn't really care much about this. And that's where these issues arise, right? Because when you're overwhelmed, you don't have the information. You're kind of like just going in head first and you just encounter all these issues. So how can digital media literacy help to address these challenges? Yeah. So 
I think I would say that the general public cares about pieces of it, but thinking about it as a connected group of things maybe is where we're missing something sometimes. I think that digital literacy gives us good questions to ask, to ask ourselves, to ask as we look at certain tools or media or information online. So questions like, who created this? Where is this coming from? Who benefits from this being out there? Whether that's a headline that you're seeing or just if you're trying to decide whether to create an account on a new app, who's going to benefit from that? What options do I have to engage with this? What choices can I make? And so I think a lot of digital or media literacy is about getting into the habit of asking yourself those questions. And if you don't know the answer, going and looking for more. Yeah, definitely. But how can we go about this education? Because I feel like for a lot of us, we just kind of, you know, pick things up here and there. And again, we're learning how to navigate the digital world using the digital world. So information can be misleading sometimes. You know, a lot of people might not know where to start. So what would be some of your recommendations as to where we can start learning about it in a systematic way, in a way that would actually benefit us? Mm, That's a great question. I know it's very off script, but I got to ask because it's (laughs) definitely so important. When we started talking about this stuff, I'm like, I know, I know I need to learn more about it, but how? I'm not Mm -hmm. sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, as a librarian, my favorite thing is to give people resources. So (laughs) careful. (laughs) I'll give you way too many. Uh, I'm trying to think about if I can just start with a few where I would point people to. I mentioned Hank Green at the beginning and Hank and John Green actually have a YouTube series called Crash Course. And they have digital and media literacy content in there about how do you navigate information? Where does the information come from? How do you evaluate it? And their stuff is great and it's fun. It's very approachable. And that's if you enjoy YouTube videos, I think that's a great place to go to start a lot of these conversations Some of what they drew on, I believe, comes from the Stanford History Education Group. Uh, That's a group of researchers at Stanford. They've done some studies on how people explore and evaluate information. One in particular, they had a group of undergraduate students, they had a group of history professors, and they had a group of professional fact checkers. And they were trying to see how they would respond to some very, uh, what do I, how do I want to call these? Uh, some websites that were not trustworthy at all. And it, it, they wanted to see who could figure out that these were not trustworthy websites. Yeah. The undergraduate students were fooled. The history professors were fooled. But the professional fact checkers did really well. Because what they did was instead of looking really closely at the website, which is 
often what we've been taught to do is like, what's the URL? What does the about page say? Instead of doing that, they immediately would open a new tab and look for other information. So what is this website? Where is it coming from? Those questions can be answered by looking at another source. And so that helped them really quickly say like, oh, this is completely made up. This is not trustworthy. Uh, so that group has a lot of really great content built around the research that they've done about how people evaluate information. And um, that's a that's another great place that I would go um, for some of these things. Mm. Wow, that is very interesting. Thank you. Well, I'm glad I asked the question and apologies, it's a bit off script, but uh, definitely super important for people to know. No, oh, that's great. And I, uh, if you all do any kind of show notes or additional resources, we could definitely curate some other places. Absolutely. Yeah, Um, absolutely. We'll get in touch with you and we'll add all the links of the relevant resources to the show notes to make sure our audience can actually benefit from um, some of the things that they can use and start to learn and educate themselves more. In the interest of time, I don't want to keep you for too long. I know we have some more questions, um, but we probably should talk about something more practical. Before we move Mm -hmm. on to the practice part, is there anything you would like to say uh, before we close out this topic? Because I know we we intended to talk about how the transformation of media platforms can have some pitfalls. And we we wanted to talk about detoxing. We kind of touched on that a little bit already. Uh, But if you have anything else you would like to share with our audience, please do. So I think one more thing that I would just share is in thinking about how information is shared, how quickly things come in our inboxes, in our feeds, what we're seeing all the time is that that can really feed into some big gut reactions and some more inflammatory responses and those attention-grabbing headlines, those memes that want to be shared are uh, those more inflammatory things that lack nuance, that lack context usually. And a powerful way to deal with some of that is just slowing down. And I think on theme with well-being and definitely part of digital literacy is just taking a moment as you come across things and checking in with your emotions. How am I feeling about this? Why is it making me feel that way? Before you decide what you're going to do about it, maybe you just leave it. Maybe you don't do anything with it. Maybe you look for more information. Maybe you do end up sharing it with someone else. Um, But making sure that you give yourself that moment to check in even if the tools we use feel like they're encouraging you to just go fast all the time. Yeah, definitely. I really love that. Such a nice message to close with. And uh, speaking of which, now let's get practical because we have all the theory, we know what to do, we know the impact um, the digital world can have on us and how our digital well-being can be impacted. Um, And since you're, you know, very experienced in this space in the sense that you've worked in it for so long and you're very passionate about it. What would be a practice that you personally use to improve your digital well-being? I think I've mentioned that email stresses me out. And 
I had a baby last year and coming into my parental leave, I was a little nervous about the emails that would pile up in my work email in my absence. Uh, So some things that I did to prepare for that, I've continued to use and have been really helpful. I started to try to notice the emails I was getting that I was often deleting or trying to unsubscribe from. And I actually created a filter of things uh, to go into a folder that so that I wouldn't have to directly deal with them when I came back from leave. And I have since turned some of that off, but I, I still have some emails going into a filter that are things that I don't need to deal with every day. I still want to get to that email. I don't want to completely unsubscribe from it, but I don't have to see it every moment. I can like usually like once a week or so I go into that folder of things just to check in. Uh, There are things like information about professional development or webinars that are coming up from my library and professional association or Uh, messages about research opportunities. So they're often like long lists of things and things that I don't want to be dealing with every day. Uh, But I can kind of take a a moment when I feel like, okay, I can really go through stuff right now. And then I go through in a batch when it's all together. So that's one thing I've done in my email. Um, Unsubscribing to things as they come in that you don't want to get is huge. When I don't do that, I start to pile up from restaurant delivery services and all these things that I've signed up for that want to encourage me to to buy more things. And yeah, it, it, it can get to be a lot so quickly. So Definitely. taking that time to unsubscribe is a huge thing for me. Uh, and then also I, in the last couple of years, just turned off notifications for my email on my phone. I felt like I still wanted to have my email on my phone. I know that's a choice that a lot of people make is like, just take the email off your phone. And that can be really powerful too. But that felt more stressful to me not to have that access when I want it. But sometimes I do toggle it off. Um, But just making sure that it wasn't alerting me every single email was also huge for me because that can be so disruptive if you're getting a ping every time that comes into your inbox. Yeah, absolutely. I could totally relate with that. And I think we can all relate with you when it comes to unsubscribing. You know, like I, I think for a really long time, I just did not unsubscribe from anything. And then I got really overwhelmed. And then I started deleting all these these emails. But then I felt like, no, it was not enough. So I did the same thing as you, you know, like sometimes I would just start to unsubscribe in a batch. Um, And then, you know, when it's really bothering me, I'll do another batch. Um, But I think it's like, it's such an important thing that we don't talk about because emails can get out of hand really quickly. So I'm glad you mentioned that. (laughs) Yeah, cool. Um, And I think when we talk about digital well-being, um, that is the thing that stresses you out the most. Once you have unsubscribed from all these things, how do you feel about your level of digital well-being and well-being in general, actually? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think it 
gives me a sense of calm or a baseline to feel like at least that piece of my life is organized and for important emails that I want to get back to, I know where to, where to find those. I don't have to sort through a whole bunch of stuff. And that feels somewhat calming and nice. I, I don't know if once it's in a good place, if it feels like it impacts my well-being as much as other things, which is kind of interesting that it feels like this big stressor, but then once it's gone, it's not like something that brings me a lot of joy necessarily. And I think that's an important part of well-being too in terms of digital spaces are what are the places that are really exciting to you? Where do you feel connected? And maybe focusing on my email isn't really that for me, but it lets me then go to other places to do that. I think it, it frees up that space into my brain of, okay, I don't have to worry about my email anymore. So now I'm going to go pursue some fun things. Mm. Yeah. Oh, definitely. It's like decluttering your headspace. It's so mm -hmm. good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Really cool. Well, thank you so much for sharing that practice. I think it's uh, something that we can all try. Um, it's, uh, it's not rocket science either. And yeah. it's kind of like this really <laughs> small thing you can do every day, actually, if you want, or every now and again, like once a week, just decluttering your emails. I actually did that once. And I was like, I feel so much more organized, empowered in my mm -hmm. life. And I feel like mm -hmm. a better person, even though it's just, you know, clearing my emails and unsubscribing from a bunch of things that I don't need. Uh, so I think that's really cool. It's it's amazing how little things can boost your mood, right? And just improve your well-being. It's, it's like, Wow, why didn't I think of that before? Uh, thank you for that. And finally, we have this section called Open Mic. Uh, before we let you go, we would like to get you to talk about something that you're passionate about. Um, it doesn't have to be about the topic, um, although I'm w I wouldn't be surprised if you talk more about the topic because you know you're so passionate about it. Um, consider this your like TED Talk space. What would you like to talk about? Mm. I think I, I want to continue that thread of where are the joys online and what's fun. And for me, the past couple of years, one piece of that has been learning more about video editing and getting into some of that. Part of that was that, that course that I mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, the digital authorship course really introduced me to a lot of that in a playful way. And by that, I mean, like, it doesn't have to be a perfect professional video, but just what could I learn about myself from putting some things together. And I've continued to, to explore that. And most recently, that looked like my husband and I took our son to a little local zoo nearby a couple weekends ago. And we just took some video on our phones as we were going around. Um, my husband did the majority of, of the videography. And on the way home in the car while my son was napping, I got to just 
play on my phone and edit a quick little video of our time. And it was a fun way to reflect on our time together and to just practice some of those skills of putting something together in a new way. It didn't take that long. It it wasn't super complicated, but I felt accomplished by the end of it. I felt like I had made something and it, it was a way to remember a fun time. And I think that's reflective to me of a lot of the good in digital technologies. We've talked a lot about some of the doom and gloom and the challenges of these spaces. And I think those are really important to talk about. Yeah. But I want to talk about them so that we can make it better and so that we can do those fun things and find joy and make things and share them with people. And so that's, that's the reminder for myself too, is that I, I want to keep coming back to that. And we talked about learning as well earlier on in our conversation. And I think I find the most well-being in digital spaces and in my life as a whole when I am learning and when I am treating myself as a learner. I think that lets me feel more playful and free because I don't have to be perfect when I'm learning because I'm I'm learning. I'm still exploring. And that... That's that's something I try to keep for myself as well, too, is how can I keep learning? How can I treat myself as a learner and have it be light and fun and playful? Yeah, absolutely. I really love that. Thank you so much. I think it's a very beautiful message to close with because... Uh, yes, we have been talking a lot about the doom and gloom and, and I agree it's not just all about that. We can have a lot of fun on the digital space as well. As I said, I learned so much thanks to all these devices that we have, thanks to the internet and um, have a lot of fun sharing meaningful messages with others. And I think focusing more on that and less on the doom and gloom um, by finding our balance and, you know, cultivating healthy practices while using um your digital devices or engaging in the digital world as a digital citizen, I think, as you call it, would be really cool. So uh, I hope this conversation has helped our audience to reflect a bit more on their habits, whether they need to have some more education on this topic. I know that I'm definitely going to have to look into what you recommended uh, with Hank Green and John Green's uh, series of education. Like I I find that would be... super helpful for me because I actually don't know much about it. I'm, as I said, I'm just engaging in it as it comes, not really having much of an education as to how I should engage in the first place. So thank you so much. And before I let you go, where can our audience find out more about you? Where can they reach out to you for collaborations if they're interested? Absolutely. So I, I am on LinkedIn. Uh, I also have a personal website. It's juliaferrar.com. And that has all of my other contact information and uh, other projects that I'm working on. Uh, and yeah, I would love to to chat more with anyone who is interested. Mm, yeah, absolutely amazing. Thank you so much for being here and for being so open to sharing all the knowledge you have. I'm sure we can continue this conversation so much further because, you know, if we look yeah. at all the different areas to learn about, I'm sure we can open a lot of doors. Um, but I know it's super late where you are and I think we've learned so much from you already. So thank you, Julia, for being here. Hopefully you'll get 
really good sleep and recover well. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to Doing Well, the Wellbeing Science Insights podcast produced by the Wellbeing Science Labs, a division of LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. More episodes are available from 10 Life Management Perspectives and can be found by searching LMSL on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and other podcasting apps available on your devices. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, share, and subscribe to our channel so that other people can find it and we can continue to provide quality content. More of our work can be found on our website at we.lmsl.net where you can join our movement. I'm Lu Ngo. Thanks for tuning in.